0: We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business. Hello, listeners. I know that you love listening to podcasts and I'm sure you love it when your nonprofit grows. But do you always know how to get the funding you need to grow your nonprofit? Well, be sure to check out our friends over at the podcast Grant Writing and Funding to find out how to grow funding for your nonprofit. Again, just look up Grant Writing and Funding podcast on your podcast player to increase your grant writing skills and learn how to run a successful grant writing business. You can also check out a free grant writing class at grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Hello, podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in again this week. It's great to have you part of this community and so glad to hear When I get comments from you uh, about this podcast, so glad it's been helpful. Continue to pass on those comments. I love hearing from you and how it's making you a better leader or it's helping you continue to lead your organization more effectively. Love, love hearing from that. You can always email me at nonprofitleadershippodcast at gmail.com. Okay, well, I want to start with a question today. Did you know that 20 million kids today are clothing insecure, which means they don't have consistent access to adequate or appropriate clothing? Now, you may be surprised to learn that there isn't a specific government program that's focused exclusively on clothing insecurity. So there's this gap between the needs of these kids and no government program addressing it. And that's where my guest today comes in. Like so many nonprofits that really fill a gap, fill a need that no one else is meeting. My guest today is Lynn Margario, and she started Cradles to Crayons. She's the founder and CEO, and it's really serving to meet that need of clothing and security. Now, they've become the largest national nonprofit with clothing and security at the core of its mission, and they provide children living in low-income and homeless situations with clothing and other everyday essentials like diapers and winter coats and shoes and hygiene items. Now, she launched Cradles to Crayons in 2002, and to date, the organization has distributed more than 4 million packages to kids. I think you're going to really enjoy today's show. Thanks for tuning in. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: I'm excited to be here, Rod.
0: Absolutely. Well, for my listeners, Cradles to Crowns is the largest national nonprofit with clothing and security really at the core of its mission. And through your organization, I've learned you provide children living in low-income and homeless situations with clothing and other everyday essentials like diapers and winter coats and shoes and hygiene items, backpacks and more. Now, you launched this, I understand, 21 years ago. Uh, I always like having my listeners hear a bit of the story of why did you start this and how did you get this nonprofit off the ground?
1: So Rob, 21 years ago, clothing and security was not part of my vocabulary. And the idea for Cradles to Crayons really came to me when I was home visiting my family in Michigan and helping my niece get dressed. She was about two at the time, and I was pulling clothes from her drawer some of them still had tags on them, but I realized they were too small. I went to my brother's house and I saw his home overrun with things for his young children. And, you know, it occurred to me that kids grow so fast that the things that they need and use really last them for about three months, maybe six months at the longest. And so, so much of what they have is still in beautiful, like-new condition that could make a difference for another child. And so I thought back then, surely someone is focused on this and is helping to get the outgrown, never-been-used items from people's homes into the hands of families who could use them. But when I started digging into it, I realized that wasn't the case. You know, in fact, families who are living in poverty or living in low income really struggle to get their kids really basic things like clothing, a pair of shoes, or a winter coat. So, I set out to try to do something about it.
0: Love that. And oh, yeah, thanks for... I love that personal story. It's amazing how many connections you see with your own family and or your own community that prompts you to go into a launching a nonprofit. Now, you've grown this organization quite a bit, but you've always, it feels like from what I've learned from you, you've always kept it focused on the original mission. So my question to you is, that's always a temptation, I think, for nonprofits is to have mission drift, right, As the term where you just get excited about something or there's money that draws you away from the original mission. It seems like these 21 years, you've been able to stay focused on mission. How have you done that so successfully?
1: So Rob, I shared with you that I didn't have clothing insecurity as part of my vocabulary when I started this out. I, my background is business consulting. And so I'm familiar with supply chains and how to optimize supply chains. And so that was the perspective that I brought to the beginning of Cradles to Crayons. And as I started digging into it and trying to understand what is the need out there, what does that look like and how are organizations that are providing supports to kids in school or, you know, through other nonprofit channels, how are they able to address when a family comes to them and says hey i need clothing for my children i need diapers we can't send our kids to daycare because we don't have diapers and and just understanding both the scale of the need of clothing and security and as just as a background we define clothing and security as a lack of access to adequate, affordable, and appropriate clothing um, for kids. And it's, you know, it's it's not something people are talking about or were talking about when I started Cradles to Cranes many years ago. And so what I discovered was that in the place where I started the organization here in Boston... Uh, it was about one in three kids uh, across the state who were at risk of clothing insecurity. And what I've come to realize as we've expanded into different cities is that um, the numbers are pretty astonishing. We estimate that there are more than 20 million kids who face clothing insecurity across the United States. That's two out of five kids. And there are no government programs that they can tap to buy clothing or buy diapers to meet that need. So, so for for us it's realizing and we've been able to stay true to our mission because we realize how large a hill there is to climb and we also have seen the response from our communities that we're in the volunteers, the families, the chins, the corporate partners, and our nonprofit service partners, how much they respond to being a part of the mission and um, allowing us to grow and reach more kids.
0: Well, I like it. And again, when I look at your growth, it's very impressive. And again, for my listeners, I encourage you to check out their website and kind of see a little bit of the history. And that's what I thought would be helpful when it comes to scaling your organization. Um, You've done that well. What were some of those key decision points along the way that really kept the momentum heading in the right direction?
1: Uh, Yeah, so Rob, it it was looking at how do we, in a given community, serve as many kids as we can. And we do that by collaborating with others. So it's looking at how do we get as much product or as much supply of um, children's clothing um, and other supplies In the door to our giving factory, and how can we get it processed and then in the hands of kids and their families as quickly as possible? And so the equation really is partnership. And so on the supply side, we are partnering with schools, we partner with faith based organizations, we partner with corporations, we procure items that we have to get new and And that is how we are getting a reliable supply and a large supply of the items that we know a child needs to be a kid and And then we mobilize a whole army of volunteers. And so just to give you a sense of that, and you know, in uh, any of our three giving factory locations, we have ten shifts a week, and we take, you know, anywhere from 50 to 200 volunteers per shift. So, you know, it's thousands of volunteers per month. And over the 20 years we've been doing this, we've engaged more than a million volunteers in our, you know, in our mission. And so, there too, it's thinking about how do you get as many people as possible into volunteer and make it a pro a productive and engaging volunteer experience for everybody so they come back and they let other people know. And then finally it's partnering with those agencies that are on the front lines and they are being approached every day by a parent, by a caregiver, by a teacher, by a nurse, by a doctor, by a therapist, a case manager and and they are they are getting the requests for the clothes and the other and the diapers that we are providing. And so they are the channel by which we're getting the, the requests and the orders for the donated goods. They're the ones that have the trusted relationships with the kids and with the families. And so it's really, again, that collaborative model where we sit in the middle and we create the network. And so it starts with, how do you optimize in a single location? And then, you know, how do you replicate? So we've taken the approach of replicating in Philadelphia and then in Chicago, and then the pandemic happened. And we realized we needed to supplement our brick and mortar strategy with a digital strategy. And so... We have created a an online donation platform so that you can be anywhere in the country and you can make a donation, and we'll match you to a child who wears the size and gender clothing that you have in your in your home, and we give you a mailing label and you send it off to a nonprofit agency partner who gets that to um, those. Uh, outfits to a child who really needs them. And so that platform is one that is a silver lining from the pandemic. I would say it really forced us to look at how can we serve the community in a different way and in a way that really leverages technology because we couldn't have all the volunteers in our giving factory locations during the pandemic. We're past that now, fingers crossed. And so now we have both. Now we have people coming in to our giving factory, giving factories and volunteering, and we have people donating through our giving factory direct platform. And we're looking to expand that and, and cover the entire country with through that online platform.
0: Well, very impressive how you pivoted there post-COVID you know, to continue to not just keep serving in those three locations at the time, but just expanding and really growing. And now that's really setting you up for a nationwide impact. And that's a good segue into my next question uh, related to the idea of scaling. But more than that, as I've talked to entrepreneurs, I've talked to people like yourself who've started a nonprofit and really grown it and scaled it over time. Oftentimes, as they look back, and in your case, 21 years, there were pivotal moments, maybe key decision points or defining moments if you will that made or you know could either make or break your organization could you take us into one or two of those pivotal moments over the last 21 years that really set you up to where you are today
1: Yeah Rob when I first started when I was trying to get cradles to crayons off the ground yeah you know, I had many days where I was just Felt like banging my head against the wall, (laughs) you know, running into all kinds of roadblocks. I was also realizing the limit of my network and the limit of my abilities. I mean, there are certain things that I feel like I'm pretty good at, and then there are other things that I just have no business doing. And I had gotten to a place where, you know, friends and family and colleagues were starting to turn the other way. And so, you know, whenever I would, whenever I would approach because they knew I was going to be asking for help for cradles to crayons. And so the, there was one day early in 2002 where I walked into the very first warehouse that, that we had set up and it was a tiny place. And I looked around and I didn't know a soul in the warehouse. I had people there who were you know, taking apart, you know, bags of donations and who were, you know, getting orders off of our then fax machine and they were helping to assemble orders. And I thought, wow, this is pretty incredible that people who are complete strangers to me have found their way to Cradles to Crayons. And they are so excited to be helping. They're volunteering. And that was for me, this light bulb that went off about power of volunteerism. And so it was was saying, okay, I now need to know who these volunteers are and how to get more of them and then how to put their time to the best use. Because that to me was that, you know, that real opportunity where this idea was not limited by what was in my brain or what was in my small network and my community, but it was the potential was limitless when bringing other people in, you know, volunteers, and that was the that was the beginning, and that is something that we have really been able to. It's the power. It's the engine. The volunteerism is the engine that powers our mission. And then the other thing that I would say is you know, it's really all about the people and the team and, you know, realizing that I don't need to have all the answers. What I need to do is have people um, who are part of this mission, who are smarter than I am, who bring a different perspective, who care about this mission and who are people who can take us from where we are to where we want to go.
0: I love that emphasis on people. I, I think it's so true. Again, particularly in the nonprofit sector, it's all about people and how you grow them. Well, kind of going back then to staff growth and your organization growth and how that sometimes can be a challenge. What I mean by that, let me set this up. with oftentimes I've experienced it and other people I've talked to have experienced this when you are in a trajectory of growth, as you hire people, There's times where you hire a certain person at a certain level of your organization, and they're perfect for that role, for that size of organization. But say you double in size or more, and all of a sudden, that person you hired at a certain level is now out of kind of a fish out of water, so to speak, at that next level and just can't go to the next level to continue to grow and expand. And yet the person loves the mission. They're the right person for the organization, just not the right person for that position. So when you think about that, how have you been able to grow your team? retain staff, you know, try to have a process, if you will, where people have an opportunity to kind of move up in the organization, if you will, which I think for many people, that's ideal, right? So yeah, talk about that. How have you grown staff? How have you had to navigate through maybe some difficult situations where you've had to move people around because again, what they were good at at one time and one level of the organization no longer fit. So can you talk about your process there?
1: Yeah, Rob, that is a great question. And I think it is one that we continue to explore because as you point out, we have had, you know, we've been, we're a different organization than we were 20 years ago. You know, and so 20 years ago, I had just a small handful of people who did everything. So they were amazing generalists pitched in to do Anything and everything that was thrown their way. And we didn't have any structure. We didn't have an HR team. We didn't have anyone who was there, you know, focused on marketing specifically or focused on IT. Everybody did everything. And then as we became more well known, as we were able to raise more money. We started to bring in people who had certain skill sets and we were hiring for what what we saw as needs for where we were going as an organization. And so I'd say in the early days, you know, part of it was we were so small, I didn't really have an opportunity to promote people. And so there were instances where yeah, maybe someone didn't fit what the role was that, you know, for where we were going, but also maybe we were losing people. But we were losing people too because there was nowhere for them to be promoted to in such a small organization. And so, you know, so there are all kinds of, you know, challenges that any nonprofit faces when we think about, you know, how to... Attract and retain staff. Compensation is another big one. You know, nonprofit agencies just cannot compete with for profit companies on the basis of compensation. And so we've lost people to for profit companies, but we've also been able to attract really talented people who care deeply about the mission and. You know, we've got great benefits and we have looked at and invested in professional development opportunities, both tailored for the individual as well as group professional development. We really do a lot with communications and, you know, part of being connected to an organization is to have your voice be heard. And to understand why. Why are we making um, the investments that we're making? If we make a change, what's behind that? And so, you know, really trying to be thoughtful and proactive about two way communication. And then we have been doing more, we've been much more intentional about alignment across our locations so that we're caring people who have the same role in Chicago with their counterparts in Boston and Philadelphia. So they've got a community and they're able to share best practices. They're able to, you know, share ideas. And if we do have a gap, then, you know, people can pitch in and, and help. And so I would say we haven't figured it out yet, but we are working hard at it and we are committed to being a place that is inclusive, that's engaging, and that is rewarding for our team
0: members. We'll be right back. Are you looking for an easy and effective way to boost your nonprofit's donations? Look no further than DonorBox, the online fundraising platform that streamlines your fundraising efforts, maximizes donations, and simplifies giving for your supporters. With DonorBox, you can create beautiful donation forms, accept digital wallet payments, track donations, and send auto receipts. And the best part? There are no setup or monthly fees and no long-term contracts required. So what are you waiting for? Visit DonorBox.org today to get started that is www.donorbox.org. Do you want a clear step-by-step system to write grants so that your nonprofit secures funding in a stress-free manner? Well, check out the free grant writing class, How to Write Winning Grants in 7 Proven Steps. You will walk away with 7 nuggets of grant writing clarity and a free action workbook so you can start writing higher quality grants today. Just watch this free class now at grantwritingandfunding.com/rob. Again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com/rob. Well, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you will find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, including some from other countries, all trying to make their world better. And when you go to our website, you can also subscribe to my monthly leadership update in order to get more content, ask me questions, and join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. Just look for the subscribe button, which is on the top right-hand side. It's a real easy process. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Well said, and you already kind of get into this a bit, but retention is on a lot of people's minds. We've already talked a bit about recruitment, of course, but retention is a huge deal. I think it's getting more challenging. So, talk more about those effective strategies that you put into place that really specifically have helped your staff retention.
1: Yeah. So on the on the retention front, it is uh, really trying to foster a workplace that is respectful that is inclusive and that fosters communication and collaboration both within a, within a workplace and across the multi-site organization. And so that's taken, there are a lot of pieces within that. That, you know, so we have trainings that we are doing. We just, we recently created a DEI council and that's made up of individuals from across our locations and our national team. We have regular trainings. We have multiple cross-market working groups, whether it's on topics of safety or engagement. We just created uh, a council. We call them our end clothing and security ambassadors. You know, so it's opportunities like these, where we're bringing people out of their day-to-day roles. We're putting them together with people, in some instances, who have the same or similar roles, and then in some instances, who have completely different roles in the organization, so that there's this cross fertilization that's happening, and there is a larger community that we are building so that our team members are getting gaining a perspective of what are the other roles in the organization and how does what they do contribute to the broader whole and to the overall cause of ending clothing insecurity.
0: Very well said. Yeah, I like it. Well, you've obviously got a lot of challenges ahead. You've grown quite a bit. So as you look into the rest of the year and, and even maybe into next year, what would you say your biggest leadership challenges Uh, that you're facing and the organization's facing?
1: That's a great question. And for most of our 20-year history, we have been focused on how can we optimize our model? How can we increase our throughput so that we are getting more donations in the door and we are processing them and getting them out into the community as fast as possible? We've taken a step back and said, there are 20 million kids. That is a big number. A lot of kids out there. And no government programs focused on this. And very few people actually have ever heard the term clothing insecurity. So what is the unique role we can play as an organization And really leading the charge to end clothing insecurity. So, where we're headed now is to say, yes, we are going to continue to optimize our direct engagement in our Giving Factory warehouses and through growing this Giving Factory direct platform. But we are now also going to be more external facing and try to build awareness. And a whole movement across the country around clothing and security get it get that out there get people talking about it and then start providing other organizations find find other organizations that are focused on this mission get us all together and then look at how do we get more of us out there doing maybe similar you know Addressing this need in similar ways or addressing them in entirely new ways, you know, teeing up new innovative ideas so that more kids are receiving or benefiting from clothing and that the community is really taking accountability for ensuring that children have the clothing and other basic essentials they need to hold their heads high when they are walking into their fifth grade classroom. And so we're doing that. And we are really working to get on the policy agenda to say, okay, there are no government programs. There should be government programs. And let's, again, you've got to start with the awareness piece building relationships, getting states and federal local policymakers exposed to the need and exposed to how we're addressing it and how other organizations are addressing it, but how our response is not enough. How we really need the government to step up and be a part of To expand that social safety net so that families have the opportunity to go out and buy their kids what they want and what they need.
0: Well, I love it. I mean, I think like so many really solid nonprofits, you are really mining that gap between what is not a government program but what the need is for these families. Like I said, 20 million of these families and so are individuals. So you are mining that gap. You're like standing in that gap between the two, providing this critical service and really championing and, and providing advocacy for those who need clothes. And so I just love what you're doing. So for my listeners who are listening to this podcast, want to learn a little bit more about you perhaps, also learn more about the organization. Where would you send them?
1: Um, To our website, cradles2crayons.org. We also have a number of social media handles on Instagram, on Facebook, follow me on LinkedIn. Reach out to, if you happen to live in Philadelphia, Chicago, or Boston, reach out to our giving factories and volunteer, find out about Giving Factory Direct. You can be anywhere in the country. And you can get involved as an individual. We've got corporate events. We've got things that schools can do to get involved. Youth teams. There are so many ways to help out. The best way to learn about them is to come through our website and, um, and figure out what works best for you.
0: Excellent. Okay, sounds good. Well, I encourage my listeners to check it out again. Lynn, thanks for all you're doing. It's really, really important work. And I love your passion and how you've stuck with it for 21 years and continue to grow the program. So congratulations. And again, thanks for being on the show today.
1: Thanks for having me, Rob.
0: Yeah, you bet. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. Find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you Help others with the best donation forms in the business.